Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Let's do it. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Today's edition is something that I hope does not become a habit. It's our first conversation after a Chiefs loss, and it was a strange game with a lot that we can take away from it. Uh, so, Rod, how you doing after a late night uh, Chiefs loss? Yeah, it's never fun waking up uh, and, and realizing, oh wow, that that wasn't just a nightmare that I had. The Chiefs didn't just uh, did just actually lose to the Ravens, which they've had their number. Kind of all everyone kind of thought it was going to be an easy game. I'll, I'll admit, you know, I, I think we all kind of thought it, you know, it, it wouldn't be much of a game to, to kind of worry about with all the Ravens injuries. But that was bad on our part. You know, that's a really well-coached team. John Harbaugh is one of the best head coaches in the NFL. They have a really solid roster, even if they were had to have some injuries. I Yeah, I, I think that was kind of bad on our part to assume it was going to be such an easy win. But, you know, it's week two. So let's let's just talk about it. Let's let's see what we can improve on and, and let's move forward. I'm sure that's what the Chiefs are doing as well. We talk a lot about the players that underperformed. In a lot of ways, today I wanted to talk about how we underperformed as well. It's, maybe we're just not good at predicting what's going to happen in Chiefs games. I was looking back through Ron's uh, five key things to watch for this upcoming game against Baltimore that he published uh, uh, back on Friday. And in those five key things, if you look down this list, this is what we were hoping to see, right? We were so this is more aspirational in nature, maybe not predictive. But Ron's five key things. Let's see. Number one, the Chiefs defensive line dominating their matchups. Uh, that that certainly did not happen. <laughs> we ta- he talked a little bit about Patrick Mahomes against the Blitz. Uh, Mahomes was still good against the Blitz, so that's, uh, that's true. Uh, sound tackling by the Chiefs off-ball defenders. I don't know. We'll rewatch that, but <laughs> I don't think that's a they passed that test. Uh, how about the the tough test for the new offensive line? You know, I think the Chiefs' offensive line wasn't wasn't great, wasn't bad. They did okay, right? Yeah. No, I don't think that was the problem in the game. But um, <laughs> well, speaking it, of problems, number five was Clyde Edwards Hilaire as a pass catcher. Uh, not only did Clyde not catch a pass in this game, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about uh, what he was able to uh, to accomplish or not accomplish in this game. You know, it's really one of those games that I think I asked this question, did, did we overlook the Ravens? And I would say, first of all, that I don't think the Chiefs overlooked them. I think they played – I think they knew what was coming, and they the Ravens did just enough to win, and the Chiefs weren't able to to stop what they do best. Uh, so I don't think the Chiefs overlooked the Ravens per se. But I think the rest of us may have. Maybe we thought that these injuries for the Ravens, the they're losing their top three running backs, uh, injuries along their offensive line, shuffling this stuff up, that these guys were just not going to be, you know, that good of an offense this year. But I think maybe we underestimated the value of scheme and coaching when it comes to the Ravens especially. Yeah, I think one thing about the the game plan going into the game that we all maybe kind of saw coming – 
was that the, the Ravens blitz a lot and, and were man coverage happy a lot, you know, generally, especially against the Chiefs. And we kind of just all assumed it would happen again, maybe. And, and I started to think more and more about it with Marcus Peters out with some of the injuries they were facing in their secondary that maybe, maybe they'd play a little more safe. And that's exactly what they did. They only blitzed on 12% of their snaps on defense last night instead of the 44% on average they had last year in general. And I think that was kind of discouraging. You, you heard Mahomes and Kelsey actually in postgame kind of say they weren't really uh, ready for that, prepared for that kind of difference in, in the Baltimore defensive game plan. You'd like to see the, the team be ready for that. If we could kind of see it maybe from the outside that that may be a possibility, you'd like to see the head coach and the offensive players be ready for that kind of adjustment if the Ravens were to make it. So that's a little discouraging, honestly. But the Chiefs' offense overall didn't perform badly in this game. You know, they they put up 35 points. They were in this game. They were pretty efficient through most of the game, especially through the air. Now, obviously, the running game, they, they could not get the job done, and they made some critical, critical mistakes. But I don't think they lost this game because the offense – didn't anticipate uh, the Raiders or the Ravens defensive scheme. I don't think we lost this game because, you know, there's some, uh, I frankly didn't lose this game because of the run, because of the run defense either. There's, I'd say there's three main reasons they lost this game, but uh, Ron, first of all, let me, let me give you a chance to rebut that. Did they lose this game because of the run defense? Absolutely not. No. We've seen this game happen before, guys. You guys have watched this exact game play out. The most recent that I can recall, last year against the Raiders in Vegas. Ra- Raiders are going all over the Chiefs' defense. They could not be stopped. And the difference in that game is that the Chiefs pulled it out in the end. This game, the Chiefs' offense could not pull it out in the end thanks to a couple crucial turnovers, the most crucial being Clyde's fumble at the end. And also Mahomes' interception in the third quarter, which w- was pretty bad in itself. But the Chiefs, and Andy said it after the game, that last drive should have been the last drive of the game, the Chiefs' last offensive possession. If Clyde doesn't fumble that ball, there's plenty of time for the Chiefs to, to make it happen, to get a first down there, to run out that clock and kick a game-winning field goal. This, it, this game was in the Chiefs' bag, and, and they blew it. They fumbled it away. And, and it's not – the run defense was bad, but it's not the reason they lost. This, this game was solely on – not solely, but this game was, was pretty much on crucial turnovers and, and – the offense needs to close it out, not even just the turnovers, just the last 22 minutes of the game not scoring a single point after putting up 35 in the first 37 minutes or whatever it was. I, It was just not it, – it, it's it's not on the run defense. It's 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 a, it's a collection of everything, but you can't solely put it on the run defense. I feel like this happens every time the Chiefs have a, de- a bad defensive performance, especially on the run defense. We look back at the end of the game and we say, oh, man, the, the, the defense blew it. But then every single time, without fail, if you go through and, and look back at the last few offensive possessions, a lot of it is how the offense answers. So and I'm saying that the three key reasons the Chiefs lost this game, one of them is that the offense could not answer when the defense did get a stop. So first of all, back to your point, Ron, the Chiefs scored a touchdown with six minutes, 50 seconds left in the third quarter. They were up 35 to 24. From that point on, the offense had – or the, the defense forced a stop, uh, four plays and, and net negative yards for Baltimore, uh, gave the ball back to the Chiefs offense. The Chiefs offense promptly uh, throws an interception after three plays, right? The Ravens took that, went right back down and, and scored a touchdown. Chiefs get the ball back, five plays, 13 yards and a punt. Give the ball back to the Ravens, Ravens score a touchdown. And then the Chiefs get the ball back again, still 
uh, with a chance to salt this thing away, and uh, and they fumble. So in, in when the Chiefs' offense is working, when the, the Chiefs are winning games, it's because when the defense does get a stop, the offense capitalizes on that opportunity. That didn't happen today. No, absolutely not. And the other part of that with the offense failing is that you know your defense is tired. It's it's a this run heavy defense wears you out, or this run heavy offense wears you out as a defense. And not only did the Chiefs not convert on those on those drives that you just mentioned, they also were very short drives and it barely gave the defense time to to rest up and recover and and get back on the field and and, and play, you know, full speed maybe. And it's early in the season, you know, the conditioning may not all the way be there. You know, I, it's, it, that is a huge part of this game and and you want the defense to play better and execute better. And they definitely should have, but this offense, we're an offensive team. This is an offensive juggernaut and, and you need to play like an offensive juggernaut for 60 minutes of the game. And they did not play like an offensive juggernaut in the last 17 minutes of the game. That is just clear. And, and in my opinion, that's the main reason why they weren't able to pull this one out. Yeah, you mentioned it before. The Chiefs have been in this position before. They've given up rushing yardage. They've had teams run all over them. I'm doing air quotes here if you can see me. Uh, That does happen. Uh, But the Chiefs typically win those games because they're opportunistic. Think about last week against Cleveland. Cleveland had some success running the football against the Chiefs defense. And for several quarters of that game, they were. uh, it looked like Cleveland was in control of that ball game. But what happened was the Chiefs' defense made big plays. They were opportunistic. They got turnovers. And the Chiefs' offense capitalized whenever that happened, and they capitalized in in a big way. That didn't happen this week, so they lost the game. It's as simple as that. They lost this game because, again, the offense didn't answer when the defense did get a stop. Those two turnovers at the end of the game were absolute killers, and they're they're very un-Chiefs-like. Mahomes doesn't throw interceptions like that. Clyde hasn't fumbled yet in his career. Those were very uncharacteristic turnovers that happened at the absolute worst possible time. If either one of those turnovers does not happen, we're not having this conversation today about the run defense. Nobody cares that the, that the Ravens put up uh, 200 yards rushing. It, it doesn't matter if the Chiefs do what the Chiefs typically do. Absolutely not. Yeah, you're 100% right. And the other part of this is just that in, in those crucial situations and in those, in those crucial moments, uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, it seemed like every time it, it was, it was kind of crunch time. Baltimore needed to convert. They did. They did. And like I said, that that's kind of on the offense for not giving the defense, putting the defense in great positions towards the end of that game. You got to give them more time to get rest. You got to give them, you know, the defense held them on that last drive, even after the Clyde fumble, put them in a fourth down in one spot. And, and maybe we can talk about that now. Cause Man, that that defensive play call in that fourth and one, how they were set up at least, and, and we've and we've been kind of looking through it this morning, Stags. How they were lined up just was not in their biggest favor at all. I, I they have Ben Neiman as as the lone backer off the ball. They have Anthony Hitchens off the edge on the other side of the run. They have Chris Jones and Jaron Reed all kind of crashing to one side when the runs go on the other side, and and it was kind of set up that looked like the run was supposed to go to that side. So it it. The run defense in general was not the reason they lost this game, but in those crucial moments and those big play moments, you have to, you do have to make the plays. And and that is one discouraging thing is that it seemed like anytime Baltimore needed to make a big play, they did. And, and, and that is the one thing where you, you do blame the run defense on that point, but just overall, I just don't think it, it was the, the true 
you know, end of the game or whatever. Yeah, that third point that every biggest play of the game went Baltimore's way. It was it was almost comical the way the broadcasters would say this is the biggest play of the game, and then immediately Baltimore would would convert or they would take advantage. So it was it was on uh, when Baltimore was on offense, Baltimore was on defense. I counted three or four separate times that were it was the biggest play of the game, and every one of them went Baltimore's way. Yeah, no, you can't have that, and 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 that's the de- that's the that's the thing with this defense is is we never needed them to be a team that completely shuts out an offense. We've never needed them to be a defense that just, you know, completely dominates an offense and doesn't let them score. They've needed to just make plays when they, when, when the plays are presented to them. And, and that is, that is pretty discouraging that they were not able to really ever, uh, you know, make those plays in this game. Like I said, they got to a fourth down on that last possession, but you still need to finish that drive. And, and you knew they were going to go for it on that fourth and one. They just weren't able to get it done. The defense made plays early in the game, obviously Tyron Matthews, couple, couple interceptions, but, yeah, towards the end of this game, defense just – and they are probably tired because, like we mentioned, the offense just did not give them a lot of rest towards the end of the game. So I tweeted out, you know, after the game as I was thinking through what, what I just saw trying to process this, one of the things that frustrated me was when you look back at this game, I think the Chiefs are going to regret the fact that when the game was on the line, when they needed a play, on Baltimore's side, they did exactly what they do best and they gave the ball with all confidence to their quarterback, uh, and and he, and he won the game for them. On the Chiefs' side, the yes, uh, the the not that they don't have confidence in Mahomes, but it's frustrating to see a game like this happen uh, when Mahomes does what he's supposed to do. The game slips away in opportunities where the ball is in somebody else's hands, um, and and so it was really frustrating to see. The Chiefs offense is at its best when the ball is in Mahomes' hand and he's throwing the ball, he's running the ball, he's making the decision, he's forcing the defense into bad situations, he's making something happen when something needs to happen. As this game wound on, you can see, I mentioned that each time the defense got a stop, the Chiefs offense was not able to convert. In almost every one of those situations, the Chiefs ran the ball early in those drives when they when the after the defense gets a stop they very predictably ran the ball and predictably lost yards on almost every one of those forcing Mahomes into uh, a bad situation on third and long when he threw that interception that he should not have thrown obviously and then of course at the end of the game when you're nearly in field goal range you just need a few more yards and maybe to take a little bit of time off the clock I know hindsight's 2020 but I you know I would like to have gone back and see how this game ends if they, um, you know, if they put the ball in Mahomes' hands, let him get out and make a play, whether it's running for for yardage to set up the field goal uh, or doing a you know a quick dump to to Tyreek or something. If you think like the the end of the Cleveland game last year, I know it was Chad Henney in that situation, but the the Chiefs had enough confidence to throw a short pass to salt that one away. Um, I think. You know, if you have a choice between a short pass from Mahomes throwing it and the Chiefs run, lining up under center and trying to run the ball, no matter who the running back is, aren't you going to take Mahomes? Uh, aren't you, aren't you going to bet on Mahomes every time? See, I, I do agree that, hey, Mahomes needs to be dropping back as much as possible. You know, running the ball is kind of a waste of time in general with this offense. You know, Mahomes scrambling is almost more important or, you know, a better significant play than, than maybe handing it off. 
But my thing with this is I, I do think Andy was was managing the clock very well. And I, I think he if that fumble doesn't happen, I think we applaud him for how he did manage the clock. He had all three timeouts. There was a minute 30 left on that second and three when they did hand off to Clyde and he fumbled. And and the other thing with that is you can't you can't risk or you don't want to risk an incomplete pass. You trust Mahomes to make the right play. But let's say there is pressure. Let's say there is a guy that gets loose, um, you know, because the Ravens are just pinning their ears back and, and rushing after the passer and they get after Mahomes and he either feel like he's not going to take a sack, but but maybe he accidentally forces a throw and then it's a, and then it's a bad play on that part. I think it was a safe play. I actually like the play call. The only problem I had with it is what you mentioned, the predictability. Everyone and their mother watching the game knew they were about to run the ball because of the formation they lined up in, just kind of how it the play kind of looked, how it developed. Why not run like an RPO maybe? Why not why not give him the option? Hey, if the run is there, then run the ball. So I like I I like the point that you you are keeping it in Mahomes' hands in terms of an RPO. He's the one making the decision whether you're running or passing. When it's that predictable play call, the Ravens could see that too. And that's exactly what happened. They they were able to make a play on the ball because they knew it was a run play. And that run was getting blown up either way. That is that said, I, I do think I don't mind running there because it's second and three. You trust Mahomes that even if they don't get any yardage on that, he's getting the conversion on third down, right? And I think that's the mindset there is, hey, even if we don't get this here, we know Mahomes is going to get this conversion. We know we're going to be set up in a good position either way on the next play. We're just taking some time off the clock. It would have been it would have been down to less than a minute left on that third down play. And so even if you don't for some reason get that third down play for whatever reason, then there's still about 50 seconds left. You're kicking a field goal and you're and you're making Baltimore score a touchdown, you know, throwing the ball with no timeouts, basically. You know, depending on what happens, they might have still had one timeout. But I I, I do I don't mind running the ball there. I really don't, but I do understand just predictably running, not even giving Mahomes a chance to throw it, you know, if it's like an RPO. That is where I do have some issues with it, and that's where I'll get I'll concede that yeah, it, it might not have been a great play call necessarily on Andy's part, but I do I do want to say that I, I do think Andy had some good clock management at the end, and I do think he put them in position to win that game. Clyde just got to put two hands on the freaking ball and not fumble it. That, that, that's that's the end of the day. That that's the biggest thing right there. Yeah, I think if you look back at any of the losses in Mahomes' career, that's what the frustrating part is they don't typically lose when he has the the ball at the end of the game, right? They lose when he's, when he's watching uh, in this scenario. Yeah. The offense was on the field with a chance to salt it away. Um, and then that didn't happen. And then he's on the sideline watching the defense praying for a, a fourth, fourth and one stop against a team that they're just not going to stop on fourth and one very often. So yeah, it, it was a tough loss and you hate to see it. But the other thing I hate to see is immediately after every single loss of the chiefs, there's all this talk about now the blueprint's out there. Now that the Ravens have the new blueprint, they've just published it, the whole NFL could see all you have to do to beat the Chiefs is do exactly what the Ravens did uh, last night. Uh, what, what do you think about that blueprint, Ron? Is it out there? Yeah, the funniest part is that let's think about the last three Chiefs losses. They've all come different ways. They have not been all the same. The, the, the Raiders beat us in a different way than the Bucks beat us, and they beat us in a different way than the Ravens just beat us. And, yeah, if the, if the blueprint is for every team in the NFL to have Lamar Jackson as their quarterback and have a, a, a very unique run game and, and, and force a fumble at the very end on a running back that's never fumbled, if that's the blueprint, then, you know, hey, NFL, do it, you know. Do, do it for every game, right? But that's it, it is just ridiculous to me. I, I, 
there's no blueprint for beating this team. And I think that's why they're so good is because it's really, it's really themselves that beat, they beat themselves and that's when they lose. It's, it's not, it's not the other team winning. It's not the other team having this great scheme that all of a sudden the chiefs, you know, just are overwhelmed. It's, it's the chiefs having a bad offensive line in the Super Bowl. It's the chiefs not being able to stop the Raiders long pass game last year. And it's the chiefs obviously crucial turnovers today. And obviously just, you know, the run defense obviously does have a huge part in it, but I think, I think if the turnovers are the biggest thing tonight, if they don't have those turnovers, this is a win and we're not talking about it. So yeah, the blueprints out guys, they're just yep. have more Jackson and, and, and just go off. Right. That's just not going to happen. All, all you have to do is have a quarterback that can run a four, three and can run inside the tackles. And, um, I uh, just have him put up more than 100 yards rushing. You know, if you look at the if you're looking at the the Chiefs' run defense as the issue in this game, there's a couple things that you you got to ask yourself. First of all, Lamar Jackson 16 carries, 107 yards rushing. If you look at their running backs, yes, they were depleted, but they had three running backs on the field, all capable players. Uh, Tyson Williams had 13 for 77 yards. Latavius Murray had 36 yards on nine carries. Devontae Freeman only two carries for 29 yards. If you take Lamar out of the equation, the Chiefs gave just gave up, you know, 140 yards rushing uh, to a good rushing team. That's that's not going to lose you the game. They didn't lose the game because they gave up 240 yards rushing, 250 yards rushing. They lost the game because of the unique challenges that this offense of the Ravens presents to this Chiefs defense that they were not able to stop. Mitchell Schwartz on Twitter pointed out late last night during the game, he said, this is as diverse as I've seen the Baltimore run game. They're running from all the schemes, from an assortment of personnel packages, and on top of that, they're winning their blocks. So it, it was a this, it's a really unique way that Baltimore runs, and I think that's why we probably should have anticipated that they'd be able to overcome their injuries because – they have a schematic advantage, and they have a running quarterback advantage that is super unique, uh, and, and it does make a difference. But that, again, even with all of those things in place, the only blueprint that there is to beat the Chiefs is hope that when the game is on the line, the Chiefs will turn the ball over twice, once with a Patrick Mahomes interception and once with a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumble, uh, and have both of those plays go your way if you're the opponent, if you're, if you're the Chiefs opponent. Last week against the Browns, the Chiefs run defense wasn't spectacular then either. But when the game was on the line and turnovers happened, they came the Chiefs way, not, not the other way around. So turnovers are such a much bigger factor than, than the, uh, the run defense. And there's no blueprint for all of a sudden not having or having or not having turnovers at the end of the game, is there? No, and Andy pointed out how much turnovers are a killer, and he really emphasized how he, he he said, hey, that should have been the last possession of the game, the one that Clyde fumbled. I mean, he he basically said that. He was kind of pointing that, you know, the Chiefs had it in the bag, and, and he knows it. The other thing I want to say real quick is that it, I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen the Ravens do this to the Chiefs yet. Like, you know, the Chiefs defense has played really well against the Ravens the last two matchups they've had. But this has always been a, a fear because the Chiefs' run defense has never been great. The Chiefs' linebackers have never been great. And I'm, and I'm kind of surprised that this is the first time it's really bit them in the butt in terms of how bad it's looked on the defensive side of the ball. This was always a possibility. The, their scheme was always a possibility to give the Chiefs trouble in terms of 
taking advantage of bad linebacker play, taking advantage of aggressive defensive line play that, that was not very good tonight, but we'll get into that. I, I, or last night, I just, it's surprising to me that it hasn't happened before. And this Ravens offense is set up to take advantage of the weaknesses on the chiefs defense for sure. I want to get into a little bit of observations from the snap counts uh, before we take a break. And then we get to a lot of your Twitter questions. There are, there was a ton of them. And I think not surprisingly, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of tough questions for this team and for us uh, that we'll get to after the break. But looking at the snap counts, there's a few things that jumped out at me from last night's game. Uh, the first one is Juan Thornhill uh, for had a pretty solid week last week against the Browns, right? Played pretty well. Looks like he's coming back. Uh, he has a unique skill set that this defense needs on the field. Juan Thornhill had the least defensive snaps of anybody who played defense for the Chiefs last night. 11 snaps, only 14% of the defense's total snaps. Why in the world would you not play Juan Thornhill at this point in, in, the, in this season? Yeah, I think, I think they just trusted Sorensen more, but I think that's going to start changing because I think Sorensen did not give them reason to have him playing over Thornhill, especially last night. I want to see how many missed tackles he had for PFF because he had five week one, and I feel like he had more this game, and he might lead the league in missed tackles at this point. And I, I know Juan isn't – he had kind of he had some bad missed tackles in week one as well, but his athleticism, his upside as an athlete kind of gives him a better, you know, just a ceiling, a better ceiling. And a guy you want out there maybe a little more than Sorensen, even though Sorensen does always end up redeeming himself. He had the sack at the, you know, in the in later in the game that forced a punt. But yeah, I think we're gonna start seeing that change. I think we're gonna start seeing Juan play a little more over Sorensen. I, I just Sorensen's performance has just not been good enough to prove that he he really deserves to have a solidified starting spot. It was a tale of two halves for Sorensen this week. I, I wrote the winners and losers, and I almost put him on both lists because the first half, Sorensen was glaringly bad with missed tackles. The second half, he gets a sack and a couple other plays that, that make you say, oh, that's, that's why they play Sorensen. I, I get that Sorensen has a role, but it, it just it looks like, based on the snap counts, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, I don't know if you've had a chance to rewatch it closely enough, but it looks like the Chiefs spent most of the night in base defense because – there are three linebackers all had um, so Hitchinson Bolton, 86 and 83% of the snaps and Ben Neiman uh, for, for some unknown reason has 70% of the snaps. So that tells me they had all three linebackers on the field a lot, which means the three safety set probably was a little bit less. Uh, and so they, that's probably the chief, the team's justification for why they didn't play Thornhill so much is we were in base defense. We only had two safeties on the field. Uh, and he's our third safety right now. Um, but we can, we can pick apart all of those decisions, I think, uh, at this point. But you got to wonder, especially after rewatching that last play of the game so many times, I keep finding myself quoting one of my favorite movies of all time and, and wanting to ask Ben Neiman, what would you say you do here? Because <laughs> I'm not really sure what Ben Neiman brought to that game last night in those 70% of the snaps he was out there. He's, we know he's not great in coverage. He's not necessarily a big hitter in the run game either. Uh, it seems like he got run over or run around or run past uh, plenty last night, including on that last play of the game. Uh, just mind-bogglingly, he was, the, he was the guy coming downhill to cover uh, a huge gap in the, in the way that the team lined up on that last fourth and one play. Somehow they expected Ben Neiman to get through traffic and blow that play up in the backfield. Um, and 
obviously it didn't happen. It ended up with Ben Neiman standing uh, past the first down marker, holding his hands out and wondering what happened. So I, I don't know. I, I can see why the Ravens are a team that would force you into your base defense a lot because of the way they run the football. Um, but I wonder if the Chiefs defense couldn't mold what they do to their personnel just a little bit better and, and see more of Thornhill, less of Sorensen, and less of Neiman uh, in favor of maybe, you know, obviously when Willie Gay Jr. is healthy, it'll be maybe more Willie Gay Jr. But in a game like this, why not have Dorino Daniel spy Lamar Jackson? The only defensive snaps of Dorino Daniel's career has been spying Lamar Jackson, right? So, uh, you know, he, he might have been a better solution. Uh, he didn't get any defensive snaps once again. But anyway, the, the way that they lined up in base defense, I'm sure dictated a lot of this stuff. Yeah, that's the one place where Spags probably can get a little crap from from his game plan or his strategy is, is that last play. Neiman, like you mentioned, Neiman is the one, the one linebacker that's off the ball, uh, ready to come downhill and make a make a hit. Isn't that what Anthony Hitchens is for? Isn't he called the hitman? Isn't Nick Bolton shown enough to where he could be even trusted more than Neiman in that situation? They had Hitchens and Bolton on the edges of the defense, kind of just not even able to make a play at that point. I, Hitchens was just not in no man's land because he was away from the ball. If if you're trusting Neiman in that spot, I just think that's that's poor process. That's poor game planning on the coach's part. That has to be Hitchens, if not Bolton. It cannot be Neiman. And I think that that was the main reason that played worked for the Ravens. And if you watch the play, Neiman never even really took off his feet, was standing up the whole time, kind of just was pushing the pile. When you need someone that's just going to fire in there, and just try to attack someone's leg, attack someone's ankle, take the play out. And Neiman did not do that. It's very discouraging that the defensive coaching staff still trusts him enough like this. And it might have might have been another reason why this game uh, went the Ravens' way is, is that play. I think he put someone else on there. He, they might have made a better play than Neiman did. Well, maybe on the positive side in the snap counts, um, I noticed that Jody Fordson got his first NFL reception, and it was one of his two offensive snaps. So – Pretty good ratio there for Fordson. Maybe a maybe expanded role for him in the future uh, might be in play after converting, you know, on an eleven yard catch in his first uh, for his first reception. And then you also saw him show up on special teams. He nearly blocked that punt, or he would have blocked that punt had it not been for the holding penalty uh, on the Ravens. So, in a very very limited action, uh, a couple of brief good signs from Jody Fordson. Yeah, no, that yeah, that punt was a good play on his part. I thought they were about to call him for the the hit in the punt. That would have been really bad. But no, he he made a great play, special teams wise, and and yeah, it was good to see Fortson out there. It was actually fairly incredible that he didn't hit the punter in that right. too. Like after being grabbed and tackled, uh, he he managed to avoid the punter's leg. Uh, another guy who made the most of his limited snaps, uh, Byron Pringle, only eleven snaps, twenty two percent of the offensive snaps, but had two big catches. Uh, including a, a really fantastic uh, 40-yard touchdown. Yeah, and and I know Robinson had a good game too. He had that great catch that, well, you know, he kind of bobbled it, but Mahomes perfectly placed it to him in the beginning of the game. That was a great throw and catch. But come on, Pringle. I mean, at some point, Pringle, I feel like, has proven that he, he's a more reliable receiver than Robinson. It's another proof, in my opinion, that that was a great catch and run. Surprised he got to the end zone. He didn't look like he was moving that fast, but great blocking downfield as well by his receiver teammates. So. At some point, Pringle's got to see more playing time because it seems like whenever his name is called, he 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 comes up big. So I, I want to see more of Pringle. It was just nice for me to see those secondary targets all get in the game this week, right? Like 
Last week, there was nothing outside of uh, Hill and Kelsey. This week, the Ravens found a way to take away Tyreek Hill. And you know what? They got production from Pringle. They got production from Robinson. Um, and so there was a, you know, there was something to be said. Even McCole Hardman had a pretty solid game. McCole Hardman was moving the sticks um, this week, which is something that people have complained about him, that he's you know one big play and nothing. Uh, Hardman this week, five catches, 55 yards. He, he was able to help move the chains in, in a way that you're not used to seeing from him looking more like a reliable receiver, uh, at least for this game. So those secondary targets came up in, in a pretty decent way the, this week. Yeah, and then on the flip side, you know, primary guys on the defensive side of the ball and the defensive line in terms of Frank Clark and Chris Jones, I mean, they played a lot of snaps on defense. Frank Clark in his first game back, and, man, they were, they were basically invisible. Frank Clark had a tackle for loss. That was a really good play for sure. But in terms of pass rush, we got nothing from either Chris Jones or Frank Clark. The Ravens attacked Chris Jones as a defensive end all day in the run game, kind of put him in a bind. And you know what? I get it. I get it didn't look good for Chris Jones at defensive end, but it's a second game at the position. It's one of the hardest offenses to defend as a defensive end, especially if you're inexperienced, especially if you're a big guy like Jones that cannot move laterally as, as well as, as some other defensive ends can. I think Clark actually played when he was put in those positions. He played it really well, in my opinion. Jones just was not able to. And I don't think that's necessarily at the fault of him. I kind of wish the defensive coaching staff would have maybe thought about that a little more and trusted Dana and Okafor, who are familiar, more familiar with the Ravens offense as a defensive end than Jones is. Keep Jones on the inside on this on 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 this one. So just go, he can disrupt the interior offensive line and kind of blow it up on some of those inside runs. Instead, he was kind of just put in no man's land a lot, and he did not have a big impact at all after a pretty good showing in week one. Really disappointing to see 75% of the snaps for Chris Jones, 70% for Frank Clark, who was going to be on a, on a pitch count. He was going to be on a limited role uh, this week. And between those two guys, the only impact play was the aforementioned Frank Clark tackle for loss. They otherwise combined for, you know, three tackles and, and no sacks and not a ton of pressure either. Now, the only caveat I'll throw in there is that I think against a team like the Ravens, they probably aren't giving their pass rushers a green light to pin their ears back and, and go after Lamar. I think for a quarterback like Lamar, you play contained. You you guard the edges. Uh, you you know you probably don't all out rush around the arc like you like you would against any other quarterback. So I don't think we should have expected you know five sacks or you know any any kind of a a big pass rushing uh, impact from the edges this week. Uh, but you sure would have liked to seen them make some plays somewhere somehow. Yeah, that's a really good point, Stags, because I do think the Ravens did a really good job of getting the ball out quick, uh, you know, uh, kind of having a pass game where, you know, they didn't have to stand back there a long time, although there were a few times where he was standing back there a long time and there was no penetration. But I do think the Ravens had a good game plan on offense, running and passing. And Lamar made some good plays, man. We got to give Lamar some credit. I know he had the two early interceptions, but Lamar had that jump pass where, Yes, the dude was wide open, but you know he 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 he. There was pressure coming a little bit. It was a, a little bit of a cluttered pocket, and he made them a Holmes jump pass anyway. So I think you got to give Jackson some credit. But either way, I was expecting this defensive line to dominate against an injured offensive line, and they absolutely did not. And that is very discouraging, in my opinion. Well, you're listening to Ron Cobb Jr. Matt Stagner ranting about what we saw last night, getting all of our all of our uh, discussion out. 
Let's come back after this break where we'll let our sponsors get their word in and then we'll come and get your Twitter questions again on the Out of Structure podcast. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Outer Structure Podcast. Thank you for sticking with us. It's time to get to your Twitter questions. And there were a ton of them, and they were very pointed. Uh, Many of them around the defensive performance. And so we want to get to as many of these as we can, Ron. Uh, let's start with, with J.C. Proctor. One simple question. Do the Chiefs actually have a defense? And he says, I'll, I'll take my, my, my answer off the air. I, I appreciate the, uh, the radio format of J.C.'s question here. Yeah, and, and we got some other guys like that bowling dude asking uh, at TS bowling guy, why is our defense so atrocious? I think that's in the same uh, ballpark as, as uh, our guy J.C. Proctor's, but – yeah, guys, it, it, the defense didn't look like it existed last night for sure. Um, that it's at the same time though they were able to make plays. Tyron Matthews pick six at the at the beginning of the game really set the tone. He also had another great pick. He also made a pass breakup in the end zone later in the game that was super important and and was a good play by him. You know, I I, I do think the defense could have played better, no doubt. And it was actually, in my opinion, the worst defensive performance in the Steve Spagnuolo era. But like we mentioned earlier already, man, it, 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 that's how much this offense matters and how little the defensive performance matters that the Chiefs still could have won, even despite a horrific performance from the defensive end, for sure. You know, sometimes you're going to get in shootouts, and, and it's going to happen. Uh, these two teams couldn't be more different in the way they go about it, but they can both put points on the board, and they did last night. If you look back historically – to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, you're going to have to score 35 or more points, uh, 36 or more to be exact is the average number of, of the losses in Patrick Mahomes' career. Uh, that, that played out last night. But what you would like to see from the defense maybe is to be able to, to get a stop in the red zone. They were, they're now 8 for 8. Uh, Chiefs opponents on the season are now 8 for 8 against the Chiefs in the red zone, scoring touchdowns every single time they get down there. Uh, they're one of only a handful of teams in the NFL that have not gotten a stop in the red zone yet. That should have been a point of emphasis. I feel like they talked about it in the, in the offseason, the preseason quite a bit. And they are uh, that is the one area where they're simply atrocious on defense so far. Yeah, and, and, and to break down a little bit of what was wrong with the defense, we'll, ask, we'll get a few questions in from our guy, Chef Boy RDG on Twitter. Did our defense do anything good besides catch two horrible passes? Also, what change could we have made, uh, you know, to be better against – they feel like they were one-dimensional. We couldn't stop the run. Andy Roloff on Twitter asks, who's to blame for defense, players, coaching staff, or Veach? Ben Higgins on Twitter asks, in your opinion, is the Chiefs poor run defense more of a scheme issue or personnel issue? This is where I want to take the time to say that, in my 
opinion, I know we've kind of mentioned that a few of the things that Spags could have done better in terms of who's in the game. This is an execution thing. The Chiefs could not get off blocks. The Chiefs could not make tackles. Andy Andy really said that after the game. He pointed that out. He said it you know, two or three times how they could not get off blocks. I really think this was an execution thing. I don't think we should put too much of this on Spags. I think the defense just needs to step up. Each individual needs to step up and make plays. And that's why I really think we, we missed Willie Gay. I think we might have a question to, uh, about that uh, later, but I'll go ahead and say right now, Willie Gay would have made a huge difference in this game. Just his pure athleticism and his playmaking ability in terms of exploding through a run lane and making a tackle or on those wide runs, chasing down Lamar, Willie Gay can chase down Lamar. Nick Bolton, Anthony Hitchens, and Ben Neiman aren't, aren't getting even close to Jackson. So yeah, I, I do think this was more of a personnel issue for sure. And and maybe you can blame that on Beach, but I do think once we see Gay in the game, if we did see Gay last night, it would have been a much bigger, uh, big, better performance from the defense just off his play alone, because it's so it, this offense takes advantage of linebacker play so much. And so I do think it was a lot more about the uh, personnel in the game, the execution of the players in the game, rather than the actual uh, uh, game planning or the coaching staff. I don't know, Ron. We fell for that jig a little bit coming from last week. We expected this defense to be a lot better with Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew on the field this week. And and I think you saw a worse performance overall uh, than we did in week one. So, you know, it's tough to say that, you know, one injured player returning is going to change it. Although I see the argument about the linebackers. It's just uh, I'm feeling a little snake bit based on our predictions so far. Yeah, absolutely. And and just think about it, though. I mean, imagine if Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew weren't playing in this game and how bad it would have been then. So I, I do think, you know, the defense as a whole, their personnel got better having those two guys in. They just didn't execute better. And and this offense is a lot more harder to defend than Cleveland's is, I would say. Cleveland has a hard offense for sure, and they and they ran a good game plan as well. But Baltimore's defense just gives you so many different looks, so many different, you know, things to defend, so many ways to defend it you know, the counters, the misdirections. And then obviously just having a quarterback be your runner, that adds a diff- an, another number that the offense has an extra number that you have to defend that most offenses you don't have to defend. If you're playing a, a great Cleveland Browns offense, a rushing offense, Baker's not ever running the ball, you know, obviously a scramble maybe, but you don't have, you, you're, you're already down a number if, you, if your quarterback's never a threat to run the ball. But that's the whole reason Baltimore is so hard to defend is because they have that extra number and it gives them an extra blocker in the run game. Uh, just gives them a whole nother dimension that the defense just could not execute, get off blocks and, and make plays on for sure. You bet. I, I, schematically and personnel wise, you know, could they have done some more things in game? I think we threw this out there earlier. Uh, maybe you have a, a spy on, on Lamar Jackson that can actually keep up with him. Again, I mentioned Dorian O'Daniel, not that he's going to be the end all solution to any of the chiefs problems, but in a scenario where, um, you needed one player to hit Lamar and, and to keep an eye on him. Maybe they could have brought in, uh, you know, somebody just for that specific role. Um, other, otherwise, I'm not sure what else they could have done. They they load up against the run. It didn't seem to matter, you know. So, uh, you know, there's it's one of those games where it just probably is going to be a shootout, and it's a tough matchup for the Chiefs. And, you know, next week and the week after, uh, we'll see if this defense comes together and if there's real long-term concerns or if this is just a, hey, that was a tough matchup and a tough game for the for the defense. Yeah, and real quick, I just want to, uh, you know, answer a few questions. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, Vivo at Sixth Sense, how do we stop the run? Brett Veach, Burner at Burner Veach, how does this defense turn it around? Those kind of questions, guys, I really do think this Ravens offense is so unique that I don't think the run defense actually is that that 
big of it, like this much of a liability as it was on Sunday night. I just think this Ravens offense executed so well. And like I already said, the defense just didn't execute. But it's a lot harder to defend this run offense than other run offenses. And I think we already saw the two best run offenses in the NFL this year. So I really think the run defense is just going to improve based on not playing the Browns and the Ravens for the rest of the season. And so I don't think we should like, and we've already kind of said it, but I don't think we should freak out that the run defense was, was had holes all around it. I just really think the, the Ravens offense and the Browns offense has really uh, given them a lot of trouble and they'll have a lot better, uh, you know, chances moving forward against offenses that don't present those same kind of challenges. You know, it's also somewhat the the beginning of the season. A lot of times your offenses are ahead of your defenses. Um, you know, there's conditioning questions. There's team composition questions. They did make some changes on defense this year. Um, I'm, I've been a little disappointed with the interior, especially the interior defensive linemen, actually all of the defensive linemen, frankly, other than, than Chris Jones in the second half last week. Um, I think the additions of Jaron Reed, for example, should pay off at some point. Tershawn Warden is going to make plays this year. Mike Dana is going to make plays this year. Uh, those guys, none of them look very good against the Ravens. Um, I'm willing to chalk that up to a bad game or two, um, or, or again, a tough matchup for those guys. Um, we'll see if it continues a, as the season goes on, but I think there's some some real questions about how that front seven has looked uh, to date. And again, the hope is that it's a short-term question. Yeah, and shout out Matrick Mahomes at Not a Chiefs fan on Twitter for asking a question about the interior defensive line. Yeah, I I totally agree. I, I thought Jaron Reed has been non-existent for a guy that we thought was going to be a huge difference maker in this defense. Derek Naughty had a good game last night, I will say, in some spots. I don't think you can say any of the defensive linemen had good games, I should say, but uh, he had some good stops and uh, – not, uh, you know, Colin Saunders and Turk Wharton weren't really uh, showing up at all either. So, yeah, we're going to see better performances from them, like I said, when we're playing uh, lesser uh, dangerous run offenses for sure. Another guy we got to talk about is my guy, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I've been hyping him up all offseason, really excited to see what this guy was going to do this year, especially with the new offensive line. And so far, well, let's just say it was underwhelming up until that last drive, and now it, it feels a lot worse. Um, what are your thoughts on Clyde so far? There's a bunch of questions on this topic, um, especially on the call uh, to, to even give him the ball at that point. But you've got people like Jordan Noble saying, uh, what's it take to bench Clyde? That was a, as egregious as it gets. Um, others like take the hit at race the train 45 saying, what does Clyde bring that other running backs wouldn't? It's hard not to question it right now, right? I mean, he's 27 carries on the season for 89 yards, and, and that is not an impressive clip whatsoever. And I think we've all been, you know, relatively impressed with, with how the Chiefs' run blocking has been. I know they've had some – we already mentioned they had a lot of negative run plays against the Ravens that weren't necessarily Clyde's fault, I think. Uh, particularly one play, uh, Justin Matabuke shot through the line and, and tackled Clyde for about a four- or five-yard loss. And actually, if you see it, Trey, Trey was pulling. Trey Smith kicked out a dude, blew him up. And if you look, there was a huge hole for Clyde to run through on that left side um, if he would have been able to get past Matabuke. But you can't blame Clyde for that. But at the same time, Clyde just hasn't been impressive in, in terms of reading his blocks and, and making the most out of the runs he gets. It seems like he kind of gets the yards that are there and not much else. And, and that's not the sign of a, of a first-round da- first running back, a guy you, you take that high. You kind of hope. You have a guy that kind of makes more of a difference than that, especially the fact that they have not even made the effort to use him as a receiver. 
I really thought maybe a game where the Ravens play a lot of man coverage, and, and I know they didn't do as much as what they usually do, but I thought this game would actually be a, a good time to use Clyde more in the passing game, you know, get a guy like Patrick Queen or Malik Harrison one-on-one with him. Two linebackers that, you know, I know Patrick Queen's a good running back, a very athletic running back or linebacker, but uh, I, him and Clyde uh, back in their LSU days went together a lot, and I bet I, I guarantee you Clyde would have known how to maybe shake him a little bit, uh, you know, knowing, knowing how to play him a little bit, so – I thought that was surprising to not see him be involved in the pass game. I, it is discouraging for sure overall, uh, Clyde's performance so far this season. Yeah, I mean, you've got Alex at AC Deason, uh makes a couple of points, but one of them is that Clyde tends to run into his blocker, um, and, and I think that's uh, uh, that's something we've seen more of than I would like. Of all the things around Clyde that frustrate me the most right now, uh, that's it, is is not uh, not seemingly – knowing from a vision standpoint on where he's going, bumping into blockers, uh, you know, kind of not, not like you said, not making the most of what's blocked up for him. I've always thought, you know, that this is a guy who he's not going to have a ton of explosive breakaway runs. He's not Jamal Charles by any means, but like he should be churning out those 10 to 15 yard plays on a regular basis. And, and it just hasn't been so regular so far. And, and, he does seem to be somebody who, you know, if there's no blocking there, if he gets hit in the backfield, it's, it, the play's dead before before it gets started. And he, he's not going to make a whole lot out of that. So, you know, I, I do think the Chiefs put him in some bad positions. I think their the predictability of the running game is probably the the biggest problem. But, you know, you, you flip it around and you say schematically, right, there's a team like the Ravens who were on their fourth and fifth and sixth running backs uh, of this year. And, and they're pretty effective running the ball from a scheme perspective, from a blocking perspective. They seem to have some room. So, you know, I don't know that it, how much of this blocking and, and how much of it's scheme and how much of, it, how much of it's Clyde. But, but overall, it seems like the running game is very predictable, uh, very limited, and uh, they're not, uh, not on the same page. Yeah, you mentioned the Ravens having the scheme that they can really use whatever running back they want to throw in there and he'll, and he'll get, you know, have a good game or, or get the carry, uh, you know, how many yards he needs to get. The Chiefs, in theory, have a scheme that the running back should have a lot of room to work and, and be in advantageous positions. When you're, when you're a Chiefs running back, you should be going against a lot of light boxes. You know, got, uh, defenses aren't going to be stacking the box to try to stop the run against the Chiefs. And that's and that's really where it doesn't really make sense that Clyde's not having a more effective, uh, you know, uh, season so far. And like we mentioned, I, I really do think the Chiefs haven't put him in great positions by the run predictability. You know, it seems like they they're not having a lot of creativity with the runs. It's really just they run the same runs. And and unfortunately, like I mentioned, that that one run that looked like it was going to spring, that was a, a gap run scheme you know it was actually a, a counter blocking where the, the two the guard and, and the fullback are pulling and leading through the hole and Creed's just got a Creed Humphrey the center has just got to get that down block and and it secured Matabuke from getting into the backfield Matabuke is a very good player and, and a young player that, that a guy that we're going to know his name moving forward um he he I think he was drafted a couple years ago he's, he's a good player and so I, I you know I, I he's a very fast explosive player and we saw that a couple times last night so you can't fault Creed too bad for not being able to get to him with that explosion off the ball. But, man, it, we, we got to see more advantageous positions for Clyde for sure. It just seems like he's not getting put in them. And when he does get put in them, he's only getting the amount of yards that are given to him, not really anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I for one, as high as I have been on Clyde, as much as it's going to hurt my fantasy teams, 
I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more Jarek McKinnon and just seeing if a little bit more explosive player, somebody who hits the hole a little bit faster, uh, might at least loosen things up a little bit in the running game. I don't know that that's going to make a difference or not, but I think it would be a, a good to at least try it out and see, is this a Clyde problem? Is this a scheme problem? Is this a, a blocking problem or, or all of the above? Let's start, you know, trying out some different things and seeing what works. I still, again, maybe it's matchup, but I still don't understand why there's not a, a, a ridiculous number of screen, screens called for Clyde. This would have been that week, like you said. It certainly wasn't. Um, hopefully next week uh, they find something schematically they can do to loosen things up a little bit. Absolutely. But let's move on to uh, a few of the big picture questions we had from Twitter. Uh, you know, some of the, some of the, the, the specific topic ones like Trenton at train reigns. He's asking about Brett Veach. Why shouldn't Brett Veach be on the hot seat? Our superstars are from the previous regime, which is actually a pretty good point. And his drafts and free agent pickups have been incredibly bad. The one, the one guy that makes the exception, I would say, is Tyron Matthew. I think uh, he, he can't, you can't really fault him for uh, for Matthew because he has played very well, and that was all Veach on that one. But uh, you know, yeah, I, I, he asked if Veach is on the hot seat. I, uh, I don't believe so. I, I think Veach has, has has done a really good job as a GM of being aggressive and, and getting bringing in guys, even when you know maybe it might have been an overcorrection. But think about the offensive line this offseason. You know, they may not be playing perfect right now but they're playing a whole lot better than I think what would have been the offensive line if he had not made some of these moves, like let's say an Orlando Brown or signing Joe Tooney to, to big money, which we have a question on that as well. I'll get to that right now. Warrior at Warrior Card 65. Is Tooney the worst free agent signing of the offseason in the NFL, which is just a little ridiculous. And, and ter- Actually, it's very ridiculous. Tooney hasn't been perfect, but he's, he's, he's been a good guard, and he's been, a, he's been one of the better starters on the offensive line so far. But all that to say – Veach is not on the hot seat. He's he's had a good run here so far. They've been to two Super Bowls uh, since he's, t- you know, uh, yeah, two Super Bowls since he's taken over as GM. And, you know, they're still on a good path to get back to another one despite this loss. But uh, Stags, do you think Veach at all should be on the hot seat? You know, the, all due respect to our question to ask her, I, I'm not going to insult the, you guys like Ron just did, but I, I, I do <laughs> think that uh, uh, I see why people are asking these questions today of all days, last night, especially after watching that game. This is classic early season overreaction. If you're going to start, you know, making a judgment on Orlando Brown and Joe Tooney uh, based on two games against very tough opponents that are not a great matchup for this team, one of which the team won and the other the, the team lost by one only because they turned the ball over at the end. You know, I think we're, uh, we're going down a path that's just, uh, uh, you know, probably not the right one when we start to judge this, this team based on that short of sample size. Just a few weeks ago, we were talking, and I was excited, as excited as anybody about this roster, saying this is as deep as they've been and as talented as this team is top to bottom. And you haven't even seen the contributions out of the players that we were most excited about. The young defensive players, the Mike Danas, the the uh, Tershawn Whartons, you know, uh, Willie Gay Jr. I mean, there's a lot of players we haven't even seen on the field and uh, and or we haven't seen the impact that they're going to make long term. You know, way, way too early to get to get into all that. I think Beach has done a phenomenal job. The team success shows it, you know, one individual contract here and there. 
Um, I, I really couldn't care much less about as long as the team is better off than they would be otherwise, and they're able to make the moves that they want to make going forward. There's never been any sign that Veach is handcuffed in his ability to make whatever moves he wants to make. And those moves have ultimately led to a lot of success. So, so no, uh, not yet. Yeah. And real quick on Tooney, uh, he was the guy blocking uh, uh, Adofe Owe, I believe is how you say his name. The, the, the guy that forced the fumble on Clyde. Uh, he was attempting to block him. I should say he was kind of, he was kind of in a, in a bad spot. Uh, Owe got up field enough to where Tooney wasn't able to get a clean block on him. And if he was going to, if he, if he were to, to block him in that, in the leverage he was in, probably was going to be a hold. You really don't want a holding call at that point. That's 10 yards back. You get 10 yards off the clock or 10 seconds off the clock. Although I guess that wouldn't have been a huge deal at that point. Um, but yeah, that puts you 10 yards back, puts you in a second and 13. If you do get that hold, you could tell he, he was aware of that and did not want to hold right there. And you cannot, Clyde needs to protect that ball. There's going to be hands grabbing the ball at all times when you're running the football that is not on Tooney, the fact that O.A. was able to get his hand in there. That's on Clyde for not putting two hands in the ball and having better ball security on that play. So I don't, I don't want anyone to think that Tooney was the reason that fumble happened. Yeah, I don't think Tooney's been bad at all. I don't think Brown has been bad at all. I think the best offensive lineman, as we've talked about so far, has been Trey Smith, which is a, a late-round draft pick by that same Brett Veach that people are wanting to put on the hot seat. Uh, so I, and, and Lucas Yang has looked pretty solid uh, in, in his own right. You know, given a guy who who missed last season, I think this team's on the right track. I think they have the right pieces. It's just a matter of getting to, to to work together. And we knew this would happen with the offensive line. We knew the offensive line would take a little bit of time to gel. Let's give them a chance to do that before we start worrying about uh, Joe Tooney or Orlando Brown or or any of these other guys so far. So as I look through the the rest of the big picture questions, there's uh, Todd Shanks and others who have who have asked us, Steve. Spagnolo in the hot seat. Uh, Ron, what do you think about Spags in his job? See, I, I do think there are some things that we've already kind of mentioned that, that Spags could do better. You know, I, I think he does need to make the call and, and take Neiman off the field. Uh, you know, even if it is for an O'Daniel who doesn't have as much experience maybe in this defense, it was clear that Neiman was a liability and has been a liability. I mean, we all know it. Everyone listening to this has, has probably said the same thing over the last two years that we have heard, and you've heard us say the same thing as well. And, and also, you know, the, the play of Sorensen over Thornhill may be a, another reason why Spags should get some, some, some heat a little bit. But in terms of being on the hot seat, being fired, absolutely not. Do we, have we already forgotten the Bob Sutton era? That Sutton would not make adjustments. I have not. Same, <laughs> it was the same defense, the same scheme over and over. He never made adjustments, never tried to be creative with anything, really just le- left his corners, who were absolutely awful, uh, on man-to-man coverage, and that's why the Chiefs lost that AFC Championship, in my opinion. Spags does not gives a lot of his corners who aren't great either. He gives them a lot of help, protects them a little bit. We did see that blown coverage. You know, it's kind of hard to tell who it was on. I think Ward thought Honey Badger was going to take him deep, and Honey Badger thought he was staying in man. That's that's kind of a miscommunication on them, and and I think that's between them rather than it's on Spags necessarily. They got to get that sorted out, but. Spagnuolo is one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL. Ask anybody around the league. I list, I, you listen to like the athletic podcast, for example. Robert Mays is always raving about how good of a defensive coordinator and defensive play caller Spags is, how much he, he confuses the offense at times. Look, the Ravens offense is very unique. It's hard to game plan against. And at the same time, like we've mentioned over and over, the defensive players need to execute their assignments. It's not on Spags to put them in the greatest position every single play 
They need to make their own tackles. They need to get off their blocks and make plays. That was the main reason why there was such a such a liability last night. It was not Spags' game plan or play calling, no doubt. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. I think the you know the Chiefs' defense is is on the right track. Again, the defense was not the reason they lost the game last night. The, their inability to capitalize um, on offense and the offensive uh, uh, the turnovers to me were much more of a, a reason. The defense can be better. I think it will be better. Uh, just got to give it time. You know, on both sides of another question here, I think it's pretty interesting that we saw back-to-back questions from uh, Ramon McDaniels on Twitter. How do we transfer the money we're paying Hitch and Frank uh, over to Tyron Matthew? And then long live the chief uh, asked, is Tyron Matthew overrated and does he even deserve that extension? So uh, we got both sides of the overreaction here, Ron. Uh, What do you think about Tyron Matthew? That's an interesting time for Long Live the Chief to ask that because Tyron Matthews is about the only good thing about the defense last night. And if anything, that's uh, going to help him get that big contract uh, later on. No, I, I, in terms of the Hitch and Frank contracts, they've been bad, guys. There's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, they're not worth the money we are paying them. Uh, you know, they're, they're solid players. They're, they're players that you want on your football team, just not at that price. And Matthew's a guy you pay whatever to have on your football team. That's just the difference between the two. Matthew makes plays when the other two really just do not. I mean, Frank Clark has made plays in the playoffs, obviously. Hitchens has made plays in spots, but just not consistently enough to justify their contracts. I know Hitch's contract has got a lot better as it, as it's moved forward because other linebackers have got paid more since. But we got to get Matthew extended. Uh, you know, Matthew, Matthew should be on this team. And the reason and the way they're probably going to be able to do that next offseason is by getting rid of Anthony Hitchens and Frank Clark. It's almost a done deal at this point. I have a really hard time seeing either of those two back next year, especially with Bolton looking like an or cheaper Anthony Hitchens and hopefully with a little better upside. And with Frank Clark, I mean, he's getting paid almost the most amount of money out of any non-quarterback in the league. I think next year he is the highest paid player besides quarterbacks. So that's ridiculous. And if he doesn't take a pay cut, he's definitely not going to be back in 2022. Yeah, I don't think I will go quite that far. I'm not sure it's that black and white. Uh, unfortunately for a lot of the Chiefs fans who want who want blood here when they see things going not their way, um, I think the team loves Anthony Hitchens. I'm not so sure that they're ready to move on from him, even uh, when you've got a healthy and active Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. I'm not sure. I'm not so sure they move on from Anthony Hitchens and, and Frank Clark. You know, well, actually both of those guys. It's just a lesson for how free agency works. You don't necessarily get – the exact value for your dollar in free agency. You get the player you want and you have to pay whatever the market says you have to pay for them. And so maybe they've lived up to, to what you've expected. Maybe they haven't, but the price is a price. And that those are players that the team felt were better with them than without them. And here's the price we have to pay to get them. If they're able to do that and work it within the cap, I don't really care if players are pay, getting paid exactly what they quote unquote, deserve to be paid. There's a lot of players that are worth a hell of a lot more than what they're getting paid based on their performance. Legereus Need is not getting paid what he's worth uh, getting paid, for example. I don't, I don't so much worry about that. I know that they, they will have a decision to make on both players. I don't think it's a done deal by any means in either direction for Clark uh, or Hitchens next year. Uh, but we'll see. It should be a done deal for Tyron Matthew as soon as possible. Yeah, I just think the one way they may be able to get the funds for Matthew is by getting rid of – I think Hitch, in my opinion, I think Hitch is, is a done deal. I, I, I really don't think – especially with Bolton getting this experience by the end of the season, I, I think they will be able to trust him as the Mike next year. 
you know, Frank Clark's a lot different because I, I do think he's important as a defensive end, uh, a, a position that they don't have a lot of top heavy talent at. And, you know, this is his first game back after a hamstring injury that really hampers you. I mean, he still could have a good year this year. You know, I, I don't, I don't mean to poo poo Clark Clark's performance so far. Um, I just think that number needs to go down and that's one way he may stick around is to restructure him, get that number down so they can pay Matthew. And then, Hey, you know, if, if they like him enough, they'll keep him on the, the contract terms they have. I think it's for another couple of years, maybe three more years. And I don't think they mind doing that as long as maybe the number isn't as big so they can't afford to pay the guys that maybe do deserve it a little more. Well, our guy, Don Julio kind of wraps it all up here and, and kind of gets all of the, the bad taste uh, uh, out there. Um, he says, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. This is not going to be the Chiefs' only loss. The AFC West has gotten better. And he goes on later to say, if the Chiefs lose against the Chargers, then this whole city just goes into meltdown. You know, really, I think this is wrapping up how a lot of, uh, how a lot of us fans are feeling today after a, a difficult loss. The AFC West, you know, does appear to be improved. They are, uh, Ron predicted that the entire AFC West would win yesterday. Uh, that didn't quite happen, but you know there, there's going to be some challengers there, and the game against the Chargers is going to be uh, is going to be a tough one. They finally have a quarterback, and that's a that's a good squad there. So I don't know that anything for me that anything has changed on my outlook for this team. I, in fact, I think when we did our season predictions, this is one of the games I thought the Chiefs might lose uh, at Baltimore. is a tough matchup. Cleveland's a tough team to match up with, and the Chargers are not going to be easy either. Uh, but the Chiefs get a win next week. This season's right back on track where you expected it. Absolutely. And, and I do think it's not going to be an easy game. And, and we've seen this team drop two games in a row in Mahomes' era. Uh, think about 2019, the Colts and the Texans back-to-back, uh, both at home, actually, which is which is even crazier. Uh, they lost both of those games back-to-back. We've seen this team. It, it happens. They trip up, and and they kind of maybe takes a couple weeks to get back on it. I, I, do, I will pick the Chiefs to beat the Chargers. I, I think coming into Arrowhead – and that's and that's another uh, point that I don't think we've mentioned, and and I and we need to, you know, home home field advantage is back, and Baltimore was rocking last night, and I do think that's going to be a, a big advantage every every game, no matter where it's at, and and I think Arrowhead has the best one of all, and I do think Justin Herbert, a young a young quarterback like Herbert, that Arrowhead crowd's going to affect him, in my opinion, and and you saw it kind of last night if you watched the Cowboys Chargers game. It was in L.A., but it was a Cowboys a crowd, and they were getting loud and, and kind of impacting maybe his decision-making and his plays, uh, you know, especially in the red zone. He was not a – he did not have a very good performance in the red zone, which, fingers crossed, happens again because the Chiefs' red zone defense could use a, a bad performance from the quarterback in that area. But, yeah, I, I think this, this team's going to bounce back, but it's not going to be an easy one. And they're going to they're gonna, – we're going to see some, some true character tests on Sunday, whether this team bounces back in a strong way or whether we have another lackluster effort on defense again. And, that, and that's going to be – that's when I'll really get concerned. If it's three games in a row – uh, you know, especially against the Chargers offense, that shouldn't be very good at run or elite at running the ball like the other guys. You know, I, I know they're a good passing team, but this this Chiefs defense needs to step up and have a better game against the Chargers. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And a good way to sort of wrap up this podcast is, you know, in a small sample size, we should have. And we talked a little bit earlier about how bad our predictions were. We should have predicted that the Ravens were a team with their backs against the wall, playing at home, coming off a week one loss with a bunch of injuries to where everybody was counting them out. You know, this is in, in some ways a buzzsaw that the Chiefs just ran into this week. Again, they come back next week against the Chargers at home, and and they put this as this will be just a blip on the radar. One of those games that could have gone either way. The Chiefs fumbled it away at the end. They should have won this game. 
these big systematic issues and, and questions and hot seats and fire everybody and burn the whole thing down. Narrative uh, should be over next week. I, I don't fault anybody for feeling that way. I felt a little bit of the same, but, you know, it, sometimes uh, sometimes these things happen in the NFL, and in some ways getting it out of the way early in the season maybe refocuses this Chiefs team and, and the arrow can continue to point up. So that's the optimistic note that I choose to end this thing on. Ron, Cobb Jr., thanks for your time. Folks, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for coming out and, and, and bringing in all the tough questions the day after a Chiefs loss. Hopefully next week we'll be back celebrating a win and talking about this team being right back on track on the Out of Structure podcast, the Arrowhead Pride podcast network. Make sure you rate and review wherever you do that. And make sure you catch all the rest of the great content coming out this week via Arrowhead Pride. Thanks again. Enjoy the rest of your week, and and let's put this one behind us.